You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. So today, we're going to be talking about corners and safeties. If I can squeeze safeties in on time, we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll just wait till tomorrow. It, I don't know. You never, you just never know. However, before we get there, um, interestingly enough, the Minnesota Vikings have signed Kyle Rudolph to a four-year extension. Now, I don't know the structure of it, and I'm sure he's not going to get all of it, but this is a guy who, um, in my opinion, although a good tight end has never met the potential, at least as far as the hype that he's gotten, I think he's in the downward swing of his career. He wasn't great last year. Um, 30 years old, and they're giving him four more years to play until he's 34 years old. And it is a... (laughs) So, through all that, apparently what he was worth was about $7 That's what he's been getting the last several years. Seven to seven and a half million dollars. This new contract, which was given to him... After his career is already on the downward swing, after we just signed Irv Smith Jr., in a time in which the Vikings can use as much possible cap space um, as they can scratch up, a team that doesn't want to push more you know, dead money into the future, just signed Kyle Rudolph to a $9 million per year contract. Again, I don't know the structure. I'm sure he won't see all that. And it's possible the structure is a bunch of nonsense that was very front-loaded, similar to what the Packers do, so that Kyle Rudolph gets a massive payday, payday today, knowing full well that in, you know, maybe two years they're just going to dump him with no ramifications to the cap. So it would be a way to dump a bunch of money on him, maybe play, pay a little bit of dead money in the future, but hardly any, if any at all. And you get to keep him around for a little while, because Kyle's like, mm, you know, I don't really want to stay around here anymore, and maybe they feel like they really need him. Even though he's not worth the contract, we'll kind of fluff some numbers, make this, you know, make it look like you got a real big one, and, and we'll leave it at that. I don't know. Either way, I don't, I don't get it. I, I just, I don't understand. They're, they're, they're paying out big time money to keep guys that I think, if I was the GM, I'd be like, nah, sorry. And we're talking like tight ends and linebackers. Sheldon Richardson, nah, you can go. Even though the defensive front is really what what makes this entire team, you know, the defense as a whole, but especially that front, dominant, horrifying. Nah, we'll let that erode. Don't really need it. Not going to pick anyone else up. Not going to draft anyone to replace anyone. But boy, oh boy, if if we can hang on to a mediocre linebacker and keep him overpaid and then go out and get an over the hill tight end and pay him $9 million a year when we're already in a bit of a salary cap pinch, 
Man, that would just make my day. By the way, looking at over the cap, the Minnesota Vikings have $1.129984 million in cap space. How in the world they went and signed him, I don't know. Even if you structure it, backloading it, I don't think there's ever been a contract signed in the history of the world, especially a $36 million contract, that uh, in the first year you pay a million bucks. And if that's what they did, which you can do it, you know, as a matter of fact, the Packers may have done something similar to that, so I might be lying. But you just, you make it all, um, you know, a signing bonus. In other words, here's a massive check. I don't even think mathematically you can do that, though, because it has to be equal parts over the years. I'm trying to think mathematically what that would do. I mean, that that means he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's locked up for all four years, if that's what they did. So they had to have been shifting money around. That's over the cap. I wonder what Spotrack says, because they're usually different. Nope. They have the Vikings at $1.14 million. I mean, it's different, but it's not really different. Let me guess. They saved money. How hilarious would that be if this was a, a, a cap-saving move? I bet that's what it is. They actually signed him and then pushed some of this year's money into... Oh, man. I bet that's exactly what they did. Not that that's the entire purpose of it, but that's just not a good thing to do. Not only, not only are we extending him when we shouldn't be and tying up more money in him, which we probably shouldn't. I mean, we got him through this year. I don't know if he's holding out or what. I don't think he was. I know they were having salary cap conversations. I don't know that it was to the extent that they were. he was going to just not play. I think that would be ridiculous. But to not only extend him, but to then take this year's money and push it into the future so that more guaranteed money goes into the future, meaning he, you know, you, you can't get rid of him. I mean, it, it's saving you now from the bad decisions you made now so that later you can suffer from the bad decisions you're also making now. Let me rephrase that. You're suffering now because of bad decisions you made yesterday. So what you're going to do is fix it by hurting tomorrow. I just, I don't get it, man. I just don't. I understand panicking about not wanting this team to fall apart, and you don't want your core guys to erode, and I know Kyle's a big locker room guy and all that, but you're just, you're killing yourself with this. And and Vikings fans are all excited because it's like, see, you guys said the team was going to fall apart because of the salary cap, and look what happened. We still are able to keep our guys. Salary cap's a myth, blah, blah, blah. Dude, this should have blown up last year. The longer they keep pulling this off, the more it's going to hurt down the road. Another way to think of it is, think how good of a salary cap situation they'd be in, say, next year and the year beyond if they weren't doing this. Instead of going into it like they did this year with no money and no way to replenish this roster that's slowly eroding, imagine having 20 30 $40 million just sitting there. And then you go out and do what the Packers did and what the Lions did and just go out and buy up a bunch of guys to fill these holes. Replenish that defensive line. Go out and get some more corners. Buy an offensive line. There were some pretty big-name offensive linemen that are out there. How many did the Vikings get? Zero. And you got Vikings fans out there bragging, Oh, what happened? I thought our salary cap was in a bit of a bind. Looks like it's not. Except you spent no money fixing this roster and have no money left in cap space and are now pushing money off into the future, hurting your future cap space, and you don't think you guys are having salary cap issues. Come on, man. Y'all are smarter than that. It's just, it's just, it's a finite thing. Whether you want to believe that or not, it's a finite thing. Where do you want to put $36 million? Do you want to put it in Kyle Rudolph, or do you want to put it in somebody else that can actually help you? And again, I'm not trying to dog Kyle Rudolph, but 
you got to get to that point, and you got to have one of those Jordy Nelson moments where the fans say, I want to keep him, and the team looks at it and goes, no. All right, you got to have a Randall Cobb moment. You got to have, you know, whatever. When it's time to go, it's time to go. I think Kyle Rudolph playing one more year is perfect. He's on the downward swing. Let's let's squeeze whatever we got last left in him and get rid of him. You, know, you don't have to say it like that. It sounds harsh, but, you know, allow him to go on and blossom in another environment while we recoup all this money and actually get talent. I don't know. All I'm saying is if I was a Vikings fan, I'd be a little upset. My guess is if I were to go on Twitter, Vikings fans are related and bragging about they have the best salary cap person in, on the planet which is like bragging that daddy's rich because he goes out and buys a bunch of cars and stuff on debt because we don't understand that, you know, debt isn't income. But, you know, whatever. Vikings fans, go do you, man, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, I don't think we're going to get safeties <laughs> at this pace. That's just my personal thought. I don't know. Maybe you think he's worth it. Maybe you think the salary cap will be fine. Hey, getting a raise next year, right? Probably can afford a rolls because, uh... Daddy gets a 3% raise every year. Burn. That'll probably help us go from no money to $40 million in cap space, right? Easily. Except for the part where we're $3.2 million in the hole for 2020. Not including Kyle Rudolph's contract. Do you guys realize that? You're in the hole. Every other team in the NFL has got like $100 million in cap space next year because they have to re-sign all their free agents. You're negative already. Oh, the Packers only have $15 million, and that's problematic because they signed Zadarius, and Devontae's contract goes through the roof. Aaron Rodgers goes through the roof at $32 million, right? Bakhtiari's 14 Preston's 13 Jimmy should be gone, probably will be gone, so that'll help. In fact, if he was gone this year, it would help even more because that would save an additional $3 million next year, but whatever. Lindsley's at 10 etc., etc., right? There's, there's a lot of high-priced guys up there, but if you notice the difference... The Packers are paying for Aaron Rodgers. They're paying for a top-tier wide receiver. They're paying for a top-tier left tackle. They're paying for um, two pa- they're, you know, pass rushers. And they're paying for a top-tier center. The only one outlier there that's overpaid is Jimmy Graham, who I think is going to be gone. Those are the 10 million-plus guys. We're not talking overpaying for linebackers and tight ends. This is investing money where it's most valuable. Not saying the Packers have been perfect in this regard. They have not. But generally, these are things that kind of make sense a little bit. <laughs> now, now I'm just on a roll. The Bears are $4.4 million in the hole next year because they're paying Khalil Mack $26 million. Kyle Fuller, 17 and a half. I cannot express to you how happy I am that we didn't get Khalil Mack. What would we do if we had Khalil Mack? I, mean, I suppose we wouldn't be paying Preston and Zadarius. But that's so much money. Oh, my goodness. And Kyle Fuller, I think Kyle Fuller's good, but 17.5, that's, I don't know, man. Allen Robinson, 15, you got to cut that, man. You have to cut Allen Robinson. No wonder you guys are going out and buying. Maybe this is just what we're doing today, because this is crazy. The NFC North has lost its mind. Allen Robinson, 15 million. If you cut him, you only have $2 million in dead money. If you Bears fans... And I know you don't have control over this, but please be on my side. I know maybe you like Allen Robinson more than I do. That's fine. If you support paying him $15 million, you're out of your mind. There are some elite wide receivers coming into the draft next year. Draft one of them. Make me furious. Cut Allen Robinson. Save yourself $13 million. Good to go. Leonard Floyd, $13 million. 
Cut him. Cut him so fast. He's not doing you any good for $13 million. No, sorry about that. Not going to happen. I know you don't have much of a backup plan, but I'd rather go into free agency and pay, you know, eight for somebody that's Leonard Floyd's skill level. Although I don't know if you can get even average pass rushers for eight anymore, but whatever. Akeem Hicks, 11. I can absolutely, 11.8, I'm on board with that all day long. And Cleo Mack maybe is worth 26. It just hurts. That, that's painful, man. Eddie Goldman, 10, sounds good. Kyle Long, 9.6, I think that's a little silly, but whatever. Trubisky, 9, just cut him. <laughs> just cut him. You know, it's the whole thing is dead money because the whole contract's guaranteed, but I think you're better off. There's some good quarterbacks next year. Just cut him and save yourself some money. Seriously, though, it's going to suck when you have to pay that guy. That is brutal. I don't know, man. There's a lot of crazy money out there. But I think Allen Robinson, you know, I, you know, you could say cut Prince of Mukamura as well, or, or trade. If you can trade any of these guys, all the better. But you don't want to go down to nothing. And I guess if, if Prince can produce the same this year as he did last year, then he's worth $9 million. I'm just skeptical, right? Last year's Prince is worth $9 million. Typical Prince, especially at his age, no, man, way overpaid. So you guys got some work to do. That's crazy. And then you got the Detroit Lions. They're doing okay. 20 million bucks, you know, for next year. It's still low. I mean, it, it seems like you got the Vikings and the Bears that just spent way too much, and they're kind of out of it. Then you got the Packers and the Lions, who this year went out and just blew a bunch of money. Because legitimately, at at this stage of the game, I, I feel like the average team has at least 50 million bucks. I wonder if I can look at that. Sure can. So if you look at the top 16 teams, that would be, you know, Jets through Texans. The lowest amount of money a team has on the top is $46 million. So I guess you could say the median is around $45 million. So I was pretty close to being correct. The highest is only 82 which is pretty shocking considering, you know, this past year we went in with several teams like in the hundreds. I guess maybe next year's free agency won't be quite as crazy. But we'll see. Teams are going to make a bunch of cuts and whatnot. But the NFC North as a whole is right down at the bottom. The Lions, who have the most in the NFC North, are the eighth least amount of cap space of any team in the NFL. Packers then are sixth. Vikings and Bears are two of only three teams that are negative for next year, Jaguars being $14 million in the hole. Which, by the way, if you want to know what spending a bunch of money in free agency and then refusing to let guys go looks like, check out the Jaguars. Right? This was always sort of the problem with that philosophy. It's you can go out and spend the money, but you better win because you got to start purging guys pretty quick. The Jaguars decided instead of purging guys, they would go out and buy a quarterback, and now they're looking at a $14.4 million deficit for next year, which, you know, of course they'll figure it out. It's going to result in having to get rid of some of their talent, but you can probably take one top contract and, and trade them, and you're back in the black. Back in black. <laughs> Be funny if that entire uh, song was about uh, accounting. Now i got to look at the lyrics. Maybe I shouldn't, because that would be really a, a big letdown. Used to be in debt, but now i got my life in order. Sold my car, got a second job, and I'm back in black. I'm terrified to look at the li- Don't Don't ever tell me what the lyrics are. That would be as disappointing as looking up Rammstein lyrics. You ever look those up? If you like Rammstein, don't ever look up the lyrics. Every single one is about, like, cuddling puppies and saving the children. And by the way, do host. It's not you hate me, it's you have me. That was a lie. We were lied to when we were younger. It does not mean you hate me. That would be too uh, too mean for Rammstein. Rammstein is like an angry version of the mamas and the papas. Anyways, let's talk about football. Oh yeah, cornerbacks. That's what we were going to talk about today. 
We haven't even done preliminaries. Oh, it's a good day. All right, we'll uh, we'll do, we'll do preliminaries and uh, take a break, and we'll uh, take a look at the cornerbacks in the NFC North, and then we'll call it a day because uh, I have a job. I'm kind of surprised by that every day. Not like I think I'm gonna get fired or anything. It's just like ever since I got back from vacation, it's like, are you serious? I have to go to work again? I just went yesterday. I am not out of vacation mode yet. Anyways, check the description. There's a link there. Go do all those things. Uh, Primarily, if you have not yet, please leave a five-star rating and review. We're very close to 200 reviews. Um, I think I'm just going to make a massive, like, I'll give you a BMW if we get to 300, because I just don't think we're going to get there. Everything has come to a screeching halt. So I'll make a massive declaration for 300 once we get to 200, because it's just not going to happen. But anyways, once we get there again, I'll be giving away that PFF subscription. Anyways, let's take a little break. Take a look at the corners in the NFC North. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All righty-dighty. So, by way of introduction, um, as far as the starters are concerned, as best as I know, I think the Bears kind of got this locked in. I know they were really looking hard at cornerbacks in the draft because they're not super excited, probably, about Buster Screen. And they did draft two cornerbacks, but we're talking about a sixth-round and a seventh-round guy because, again... You guys gave away all your draft picks because, you know, Khalil Mack is worth giving up all your draft picks and all your money, even though at the end of the day, your pass rush duo is last in the NFC North. But that's cool. No big deal. (laughs) I'm waiting to get a message from from a Bears fan. I mean, I got one in support, but uh, looking for a rabid Bears fan that just wants to yell at me, that hates numbers and stuff. But unfortunately, I'm not going to put a lot of stock in Duke Shelley, sixth-round cornerback, and uh, Steven Denmark. Seventh round? Their second seventh round pick? I mean, there's a lot of guys here. There's, you know, Clifton Duck, Kevin Tolliver. I remember some of these names. I don't know that any of them were, you know, super high-impact guys, whatever. And they still do have Sherrick McManus, who, as best as I can tell, played pretty well. I don't know why I'm not hearing anything about him, um, but in my mind, Sherrick McManus is going to go in the slot, which is where he played the entire well, second third of the season and scattered throughout the... I mean, the guy played everywhere. 
He played right, he played left, he played strong safety, he played slot. And especially toward the end of the year when he was just in the slot, he was, by all accounts, pretty good. And that's when he actually started playing more. He started in week 14. So the most he had played prior to week 14 was 15 snaps against Buffalo. Not a super great outing. But week 14 rolls around, it's like, all right, man, you're up. He was pretty good. Week 15 against Green Bay, he did pretty good. Week 16 against San Francisco, he was pretty good. 17 in playoffs, meh, whatever. But he's better than Buster Screen. But anyways, um, I, I, I don't know. Whatever. The Packers, um, I'm not entirely sure what the situation is. My thought, although could be dissuaded pretty easily, is that Tremont Williams and Jair Alexander are our top two corners. I know Tremont isn't what he was, and he's not perfect, but I think he's better than Kevin King and Josh Jackson. And although I don't really like the fit of Josh Jackson in the slot, the Packers and Mike Patton seem to really like that, so he's probably going back there. So I think it's going to be Alexander, Jackson, and Williams. The one big caveat would be whether Kevin King is going to take Tremont's spot. I think the Packers want him to. Would not be super surprised if, like last year, Kevin King came out as you know top dog, although Kevin King and Tremont Williams were the top guys because the other two were rookies and then by week two Kevin King already lost that top spot probably partially because he got injured already in week two but still I, again I wouldn't be surprised if they try to push Kevin King out there also wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't hold that spot for very long because again I just think Tremont is better but I hope I'm wrong about that uh, the Vikings it looks like they got Xavier Rhodes Trey Waynes uh, and then Mackenzie Alexander in the slot. I've been saying for a long time, I think these guys are overrated. Vikings fans usually don't like when I say that, although I feel like maybe people are coming around to that. Not entirely sure. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander had a little bit of a breakout year last year, it appears. Trey Waynes has broken nothing. He has been a consistently average corner. Um, that makes Vikings fans really angry. I've gotten into a couple arguments about that. I don't know if it's just because he's an early pick. Maybe it's just like Packer fans with Kevin King, where I keep saying he's not very good, and everyone's like, he is very good, he's just hurt all the time. When he's not hurt, he's elite, except for the fact about when he plays when he's not hurt and he's not very good. But that doesn't count, because the whole year is considered injured, and so we've never seen him play not injured, and I I just know that he would be really good, because I saw it that one time on that one play in college. (laughs) I I don't know what it is. And then Xavier Rhodes, I think, is same thing. He's kind of mediocre. He's always been mediocre. According to PFF, last year was his worst year. So, you know, okay. And then the Lions, uh, they got Darius Slay as their top guy. As far as I know, it's Rashawn Melvin opposite him on the other side. And then uh, Justin Coleman, I believe, is in the slot. I know I saw something about T's getting more snaps. I was a fan of him coming out of college, but he has been consistently one of the worst corners in the NFL, so I wouldn't be surprised if he does not. Maybe it was prior to Justin Coleman I had heard that because I believe they picked up Justin Coleman, which is a pretty good pickup. He's not very good. He's mediocre, but for this group, it's it's a nice way to round out that group so you at least have players that can play. You're kind of up to, you know, capable standards now. You're, you're up with the rest of us. You got guys that are just not the worst ever. And as a fan of a team that had the worst ever for two, three-ish years, uh, you, you want to break that as quick as you possibly can. Uh, the Detroit Lions did draft Amani Aruarie. Obviously, he's got a real solid shot of starting. I, I, I don't know how solid it is. He was a fifth-round pick. He was considered maybe a first-round guy. But anytime somebody who's considered high gets drafted later, usually what that means is all 32 teams realize something that the NFL draft community has no idea. Right. In other words, we were all wrong. 
right? Remember when I said Austin Bryant, not very good, didn't like him at all? Austin Bryant went before Amani Arawarie. And that's true for all 32 teams. Through four rounds, nobody felt he was worth a pick. So the idea that, well, we got a first rounder in the fourth round or fifth round, that's not the case, right? Same with Equinemius. Well, he was like a second round guy. Well, apparently he wasn't. I know that's what, uh, you know, mock drafts and things said from guys like me who don't know what teams know, but you need to disconnect from that and realize that was an area where we were all wrong. But either way, I think he's got a shot. Clearly, he's not going to start over Darius Slay, but he could start opposite Darius Slay with uh, Rashawn Melvin's spot because Rashawn Melvin, uh, despite having a decent year in 2017, has been kind of bad for a long time. Uh, The Vikings drafted Chris Boyd in the seventh round. Same situation. I expect nothing from that. And then, uh, obviously, the Packers got Kadar Holman. Similar situation, sixth-round pick. Just low expectations. It doesn't mean guys can't perform. Things can happen. But I think just at this stage of the game, having any expectations for sixth- and seventh-round picks is a little bit misguided, especially on teams that are relatively established. Right? Even though the I don't have a super high opinion of a lot of the Packers' corners so far, the Packers are not going to be giving up on any of these guys anytime soon. Kadar Holman... If Kadar Holman starts over, you know, Josh Jackson or Kevin King or whatever, that's a pretty serious problem. That would not be good. So I think we kind of got this figured out. Amani Arawarie is the one guy that, that may be starting and improving a team this year. Now with that, where are we at? So I kind of already jumped the gun with the Minnesota Vikings a little bit. I've talked about them pretty incessantly only because, you know, anytime I see hype where I think is misguided, I can't help but talk about it a lot. And I think the Vikings linebackers and corners are two of those areas. I think maybe their safeties are underrated. Maybe they're just rated properly. I don't know. But uh, I don't get the corner hype so much. As for the Bears, as I've also talked about in the past, we got to see what happens as the team moves on. I mean, what happens to the defense as a whole is the biggest question with the Chicago Bears. If they can maintain what they did last year, despite losing, you know, what do they lose, like two players? If they can just maintain what they did last year, they'll be all right. Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mukamura were great corners last year. If Vic Fangio leaving is a serious problem, which it might be because we're talking about not just overall scheme, like, oh, let's just run Vic Fangio's scheme and then everything will be fine. You got to actually call the plays. Vic Fangio was out there on a play-by-play basis telling them what to do. It was game planning. It was, there was a whole lot that goes into every single game plan going in, Every single strategic deployment of players and personnel at certain times and certain plays at certain times. And coaches are, are prideful to the point of, you're not going to get hired and then come in and go, well, I'm just going to try to emulate what the last guy did because clearly I can't do any better. No, he's going to come in and try to do his own thing. So the idea that things are going to change for the worst is almost a certainty. It's just a matter of how much worse. Kind of the same, then they're fine. But again, I think a lot of these guys, especially Prince of Mukamura, um, overperformed. And he's one of the guys that I expect some regression from. Buster Screen has never been good in his life. Um, let's see. He's never... So since 2011, he's been in the league. Pro Football Focus gave him an average grade twice, 2017 and 2012. That's it. Every other year, he has been below that. He's been below average, actually. He's never even... He's never actually been bad, but he's <laughs> he's never been good. I mean, it's just, just terminology. I guess every year, pretty much, he's been bad, but he's never been below the 50s into the 40s and whatnot, you know? You know what I'm talking about? 
honest assessment of the Packers, if I was doing this um, blind, I don't know what blind has to do with anything, but uh, it would hinder my ability to look at this screen. If I was doing this just coming in not as a Packer fan, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm down on the Packers corner group a little bit. I like the potential, kind of. Um, I think Jair Alexander was a little bit overhyped only because he was very, very good at the start of the season and then drifted off. That, to me, is a little scary because, you know, I mean, overall, he was graded as the 30th best corner in the NFL. That's, you know, not in line with where Packer fans saw him last year. Again, I love his skill set. I think he's going to be a really good football player. I think he's going to take a, a step, maybe even a massive step. I'm not worried about Jair. I'm just trying to put things in their proper context. I think Tremont is our next best corner, and that's not necessarily a good thing. What I said about the Detroit Lions in terms of they're good enough to not just, just not be horrible, that's beneficial. And I think that's kind of where we're at. We don't have the same situation we had before when we had Randall and Rollins at corner. And, um, you know, Ladarius Gunter was our top corner for a while. Those were dark days. We don't have that. I think our worst corner today is better than our best corner at that time. So we've come a long way, but that's still, eh. And if I may clarify on Kevin King, in his two years, PFF has given him a good grade three times. Only three times. And I understand, well, he's been injured. And yeah, he was injured and started his injury track in week two. So here's a question. How did he do in week one against Chicago? Terribly. He was given a below average coverage grade, 58.2. His tackling grade was 27.6, which is abysmal. Run defense, 32.6, abysmal. It's not good, man. He had two tackles and two missed tackles. Um, only a 50% reception percentage, which is great, except for the fact that I have no idea how many times Kevin King had an impact on that play. Oh, wait, how many interceptions pass breakups? Zero. So three passes were caught. Three of them were over slash underthrown. I understand the potential, and, it, you know, I, that's fine, but I, I just, I've been down this road too many times. We've drafted corners. We had high expectations, um, and then they just don't ever materialize, and we make excuses, right? I did the same thing for Demarius Randall. You know, what was it, two years ago? I, I was all excited. Like, oh, man, he, he he hurt his groin, and he played with a hurt groin all year. And, and, and that, that makes it really hard to play. You know, you can't flip your hips. And, da, 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 and, uh, and, and he's going to be so good, and it's going to be amazing. I went on a big tirade. I'm so excited. Demarius Randall. He was garbage. Healthy. Trash. Quentin Rollins, I did the same thing. He had a great rookie year. I at least had something to sink my teeth into. Great rookie year. Oh, man, he's going to be so good. <laughs> Garbage. Couldn't even get on the field. Over Ladarius Gunter. So I'm not going to look at a second-round guy who can't stay healthy, and even when he is healthy, doesn't play very well, and say that he's elite. And I'm not going to buy into the whole, well, when he's healthy, he's good. Show me that. The only thing I can see is guys getting wide open because his lateral agility is not really where it needs to be. Again, when a wide receiver sticks his foot in the ground and cuts to the inside, King's giving him some cushion. I know what he did against Julio. That was one of his only good games of the entire his entire career. It was an awesome game, and it was against one of the top guys, and yeah, maybe that's a glimmer of his potential. But dude's got to, like, you know, tighten up a little bit. Because one good game in two years, I mean, in terms of really solid, I mean, I, I said there were three good games, but one of them is like exactly 70. He had two games that were in the 80s. 
The other game came against San Francisco, had an elite coverage grade. Four targets, one reception for 17 yards, one interception, 5.2 NFL passer rating. I'm all for upside, but you can't give me one game a year. That's not good enough. So my goal at this point is for, kind of similar to wide receivers actually, I want our best guy Jair to take a step because I want him to take that step into no more questions. It's not a matter of if he's going to grow into a top corner. He's he's doing it. And by top, I, I guess I just mean what, like top 15-ish? I'd be very happy with top 15. Beyond that, I want anybody to have a good year. Ideally, not Tremont, because he won't be sticking around, but I'll take it. But for Josh Jackson or Kevin King to step up and have a good year. And I'm not going to get super hard on Josh Jackson, because again, I, I think he went from a zone scheme to a man scheme, and that was hard. And then he went from an outside guy to a slot guy, but he also played slot, outside, linebacker. I mean, he was everywhere. And you can look at that as versatile, but I look at, you know, versatile would imply that you're actually good at it, and he was sort of, eh. Right? I could technically be a versatile football player if you just stand me in different parts on a football field. That doesn't actually make me versatile, though. It just makes me an unathletic punching bag on a football field, destined for a coma. I, I, it doesn't do anything for anybody. I'm not versatile. It's another reason I don't understand the Josh Jackson. Oh, Josh Jackson, we should put him at safety. We've already seen how versatile he is. Have we, though? I don't know about that. But I'm hopeful that he can get better. But I, I would also like if they could just put him in a spot. Find a destiny for him and let him play there. Just just give him some opportunities in a position. Make him the slot guy. But I want somebody to please kind of take a step. Because otherwise, if everything stays the same, we got Jair, who's good enough to be a starter, right? Top 30, that's cool. And then a bunch of guys that are just kind of meh. I know they were drafted high, but that doesn't mean anything. Their production is meh. Now, the other side of this equation is, last year, um, no pass rushers. I mean, we saw quarterbacks just hanging out, just sitting there all day, so if there's a little bit more pass rush, that's going to generate, you know, obviously you have to cover for less time, more pressures, more interceptions, more disruptive. I mean, ideally, I mean that's kind of a major component, especially in a, uh, a press man. Because the point is, there's a certain amount of time before you have to throw. Let's say it's three seconds before somebody gets there. But it's going to take at least, you know, a second and a quarter to get off our, our cornerbacks who are smacking you in the mouth at the line of scrimmage. So there's a very small window for you to actually run your route. You've got about a second and a half left to run your route before your quarterback gets smoked. By the way, your timing's all thrown off, right? It's just, it's very hard to operate in that tight of a window, but it's assuming that somebody's going to be there in three seconds, and the Packers didn't really have anyone that was going to be there in three seconds, unless you're blitzing corners and things, which is why, yes, there was some pressure. The problem is when you bring Jair on a corner blitz, you also got some people that are open. The Chicago Bears are successful because they never had to do that stuff. They just won with the guys up front because you got Khalil Mack who's just steamrolling everybody. And if he's not able to do it, you got somebody else there that can probably get some form of pressure. Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, the other guys, you know, 8% guys, whatever. But usually it's going to be Khalil Mack. That makes a big difference. And the Lions I already talked about, Darius Slay. Um, I do think he's a bit overrated. I know he's very good, and that's that's cool, but... I don't think he's quite as good as a lot of people think he is. But he's he's good. I mean, he's he's a number one. He's a guy that you can line up across from a number one guy, and you can feel relatively comfortable, although Devontae's going to eat his lunch every single time. But he's a talented dude. Melvin is not very good. And then in the slot, they got Justin Coleman, who I said they picked up, I think, from Seattle. I don't know. Pretty talented dude. Comes from the whole Legion of Boom group, even though that's been kind of eroded for some time now. Actually, I don't know if he was even really a part of it. But, you know, he came from the Patriots. I just looked it up. The Patriots and then Seattle. Two pretty good programs, right? 
obviously the Patriots thing would be the connection to Patricia, so he kind of has some insights into him. But I think that was a relatively good pickup. Looking at PFF grades, there's really only two that are given very good grades, and that's Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mukamura. Again, I've said I'm skeptical about Mukamura, but it is what it is. Looking at last year, that's just what it was. Corners that were given good grades, Darius Slay, Jair Alexander, and Mackenzie Alexander with the Vikings. Average grades, Trey Waynes, Tremont Williams, um, Justin Coleman, the new slot guy for the Detroit Lions, and then guys with below average grades, Buster Screen, uh, Xavier Rhodes, Kevin King, uh, and that's it. And I forgot Josh Jackson had an average grade as well. So digging into, well, let's do this. Let's continue on with the grades here. Um, as far as run defense, Prince of Mukamura had an elite grade, which is kind of crazy. Probably a relatively big part of the reason why he had such a high grade to begin with. But he still had a decent coverage grade. Um, Nevin Lawson, Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes, and Mike Ford. Some of these guys are kind of secondary kind of people, but played significant stat uh, snaps. They all had very good run defense grades. Xavier Rhodes, Sherrick, Sherrick McManus... Um, had good run defense grades. Kevin King and Holden Hill were the only two that had terrible run defense grades. Everybody else kind of average to below average. I'm just going to skip tackling because it feels like it's too similar. Pass rush, Bryce Callahan was top dog there. Very good grade. Mackenzie Alexander was good. Uh, Jair, Sherrick, and uh, Nevin Lawson were average. Everybody else was below average or didn't do it. Coverage, obviously the most important thing. Coverage grades, very good. Sherrick McManus, Kyle Fuller, and Bryce Callahan, all three Chicago Bears. Uh, good grades, Darius Slay, Prince of Mukamura, Holton Hill, Jair Alexander, and Mackenzie Alexander. The horrific grade goes to Tease Tabor. Terrible grades, Mike Ford and Tony Brown. Below average, Nevin Lawson, Xavier Rhodes, Bashad Breland, and then uh, Mike Hughes, Kevin King, Josh Jackson, Trey Waynes, all average. Looking at a little bit of the production as far as interceptions go, there's one guy that stands out above the entire crowd. That's Kyle Fuller, who had seven interceptions on the season. The second highest uh, tied for second was Prince of Mukamura and Darius Slay. Each of them had three, so again, massive drop-off. Uh, Bryce Callahan and Bashad Breeland had two. So again, you see the three Chicago Bears sitting there. Callahan's gone, so you don't have to worry about that. But still, Chicago Bears' corners were at the top of everything. Everyone else had one or zero. Pass breakups, Kyle Fuller and Darius Slay. Uh, Josh Jackson with 11. That was a one very, very good quality of Josh Jackson. He had his hand on the ball a lot. So, again, there's upside with a lot of these guys. I think that's Josh Jackson's main thing. And if you think about it, when he's that close to the ball, he didn't get any interceptions. He's, he's primed. That was his whole thing coming out of college. He just got a, a knack for the ball. So you look at Kyle Fuller got his hand on 12 well, 12 pass breakups, but he had seven interceptions. Darius Slay had 12 pass breakups, three interceptions. Josh Jackson just, he's hes right there, man. A uh, bit of a drop down to Mackenzie Alexander had eight. Trey Waynes, Jair, and Prince of Mukamura had six. Bryce Callahan, Xavier Rhodes, five. And then it's just kind of a free fall from there. NFL passer rating, which I think people put too much stock in. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's kind of important, but you got some pretty bad corners with really low passer ratings and some decent Probably not great corners if it's super high, but again, you know, stats are kind of fickle. But anyways, it's still relevant. Uh, Sherrick McManus and Bashad Breland were under 60. Kyle Fuller and Holton Hill were in the 60s. Darius Slay, Bryce Callahan, Prince of Mukamura, Kevin King, Mackenzie Alexander, Xavier Rhodes were in the 80s. Jair and Trey Waynes in the 90s, and then everybody else was in the uh, 100 range. 
Finally, I want to look at penalties just because I don't usually, and it's somewhat important, especially for corners because you don't want somebody who's too grabby. Uh, Nevin Lawson, Xavier Rhodes with nine, Prince of Mukamura with eight. Josh Jackson had seven. He was pretty grabby. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander and Darius Slay with six. Bashad Breland and Tease Tabor with five. Trey Waynes, Kyle Fuller with three. Holton Hill, Jair, Mike Ford, and Kevin King had two. Tony Brown had one. Callahan Hughes and Sherrick McManus had zero penalties on the season. Also, because I forgot to mention them, uh, Buster Screen, four pass breakups, no interceptions, 124.2 passer rating. That's kind of garbage. But you knew that already. Um, pretty good run defense grade, decent pass rush. He had eight total pressures on the season, including a sack. So, you know, seems like he's more of a, a linebacker from the slot. He's, he's going to blitz and he's going to tackle. As far as coverage, 50.8. He's just not good at it. Uh, Justin Coleman, almost the exact opposite. Um, terrible run defense. Meh, as far as tackling. Uh, pass rush, kind of okay. Coverage, though, was pretty decent. He had uh, eight pass breakups, one interception, 90.9 uh, uh, passer rating. He also had six interceptions. Uh, and as far as run stop percentage, which, you know, impact against the run, Trey Waynes was top guy, Mackenzie Alexander, Tony Brown, 2.8. Basically, nobody really has a super high impact. Trey Waynes is the only one that really kind of stands out. Uh, Nevin Lawson, 2.6, and then it just kind of drops. As far as Packers, no real high ones. The only real low one was Jair which I know he had that really sweet play. You already know the one I'm talking about, but uh, where he blasted a wide receiver into the, <laughs> I don't know if he was a running back or a wide receiver or whatever. It was a good play, but he didn't have a lot of those, 0.7%. As far as tackling efficiency, Nevin Lawson, Tease Tabor, Prince of Mukamura were kind of the top ones. Guys that were really bad at it, Bashad Breland, Mike Hughes, Kevin King, Mackenzie Alexander, and Josh Jackson. Also, Bryce and Jair are not great either. Looking at some more of the advanced stats, the snaps per reception, which again, somewhat self-intuitive, but how many passing reps were there before uh, the guy that you're guarding caught a pass? And this is an area where these advanced stats is where guys like Kevin King kind of stand out, which is where his glimmer of hope comes in for me. Now, there have been other guys, um, Devon House also was very good in these categories, so it's kind of one of those weird things. But 14.4. Now, some of the time what it means is you're playing opposite somebody who's trash, but obviously that's not the case for Kevin King last year. But 14.4 uh, stands pretty high above the group. The next highest is 12.7 Holden Hill. Uh, and then it drops to 11.3 Bryce Callahan. A lot of 11s, handful of 10s, a uh, bunch of 9s. Looking from the bottom, Tony Brown gave up a reception once every 7 plays. Uh, Mike Hughes, 7-1. Tease Tabor, 7-5. Mike Ford, 7-8. Uh, Jair was in the 8s. Josh Jackson was in the 9s. So the Packers, outside of Kevin King, were all pretty low. Um, the highest guy outside of Kevin King was Josh Jackson, who was 11th out of 18. Looking at yards per snap, again, kind of makes sense, but on every single snap, on average, how many yards are you giving up? The highest, again, was Kevin King, primarily because he's not giving up a lot of receptions on a per-snap basis, but uh, 0.88 yards on a given uh, play. Sherrick McManus was number one. Bryce Callahan, number two. So I'm reading some of these guys, but understand Bryce Callahan is gone. He went to the Denver Broncos with uh, with Vic Fangio. But, you know, it's also important to remember what they had and don't have anymore. Then Kevin King, Holden Hill, Prince of Mukamura, Trey Waynes, Darius Slay, Xavier Rhodes, Kyle Fuller, Mackenzie Alexander, Nevin Lawson, Josh Jackson, Rashad Breland, Jair, Tony Brown, Mike Hughes, Mike Ford, Tease Tabor. Again, Packers, with the exception of Kevin King, pretty low on this list, meaning giving up excessive yards per play. 
Jair was 14th out of 18, giving up 1.54 yards uh, per snap. Looking at um, slot production, snaps per reception, Bryce Callahan and Sherrick McManus both at 11.5, Bashad Breland 10.7, Jair 10.2, Nevin Lawson 9.4, Mackenzie Alexander 8.5, Josh Jackson 8.2. Now because Buster and Justin Coleman are both slot guys, we'll take a look at them, but we'll wait until we're done. Yards per snap. Uh, Josh Jackson gave up the most, 1.47, Bashad 1.35. Jair only gave up one, but Bryce Callahan and again, Sherrick McManus were the lowest. So those are the top two guys in the slot. Um, Looking at the other two guys, snaps per reception, uh, Justin Coleman, 10.7. So he's just behind Bryce Callahan and Sherrick McManus. Again, he's pretty solid in the slot. Buster Screen, second from the bottom um, of the group in the NFC North. He is at the bottom. The only guy lower than him is another Jet. Then looking at uh, yards per snap, exact same thing. Justin Coleman is third. Buster Screen is last. So that pretty much sums it up as best as I can see. I think it's pretty clear the Bears have the best unit. Um, Losing Vic Fangio hurts. Losing your slot guy and replacing him with Screen, if you're actually doing that. If you're not, and if you're going to replace him with McManus, you might be all right, and I think that's what you should do, but we'll see what happens, I guess. Outside of that, I just, I don't know. It seems like it's the Bears and then everybody else. I suppose if I'm just going on PFF grades, the next one would be the Vikings because Mackenzie Alexander is graded similarly but a little bit higher than Jair Alexander. Trey Waynes is higher than our number two, and Xavier Rhodes is about the same grade as Kevin King. Now, they're kind of on different ends of the spectrum. There's more potential with the Packers' corners. And again, if we're asking the question, which unit would you rather have, I'm probably going to go with the Green Bay Packers, because first of all, Jair isn't our slot guy. He's our number one corner. So even though Mackenzie Alexander graded out slightly better, I want our number one guy to be our top guy, not some slot guy that comes out once, you know, every, you know, maybe 500 snaps a season or whatever he does. And again, we've got Kevin King and we've got Josh Jackson that we're hoping can kind of groom into something, whereas Xavier Rhodes is on the back nine and and Trey Wayne's just, I think we've kind of figured out isn't really going anywhere. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know where else, where to really put this. And to be honest, Darius Slay might be the best of the three groups of the, the, you know, the remaining three teams. So it's hard to just outright dismiss them, especially if, you know, you look at the potential of Amani Aroarie coming in and being that number two. I mean, if, if, if that might be the biggest thing as far as them being the number four cornerback group in my mind compared to the number two cornerback group. If, if Aroarie comes in and is solid, and they've got Coleman in the slot, who's pretty solid, and you got Slay, who's your number one guy, that's a decent unit. If it remains Melvin, Coleman, and Slay, yeah. So I don't really know. I you know, If you look at it just on paper, I think it's Bears, Vikings, Packers, Lions. If you look at it in terms of potential, it's, you know, I, it gets to be really hard to figure out. You know, you could almost put them exactly even at that point, just because, I don't know, maybe it would be Packers, Lions, Vikings, but it's it's hard to to do that, because what, what is the, the upside? You know, how much do you want to weight that? It's hard to say, but I, I think as far as corners go, the Bears really stand out. Uh, I think the Packers, one of the biggest things that I'm actually excited for isn't even the corners' growth, although I do expect some growth from Jair and Josh Jackson. The biggest thing for the Packers is going to be the pass rush, which was upgraded massively. I think that has the biggest potential to really catapult the corners into becoming better, including Tremont and and Kevin King, who I am skeptical as far as what their growth is going to be. But in terms of transforming a unit from, you know, kind of mediocre to not great to being pretty good, 
I think it's going to be the pass rush. Now, the same is technically true with the Lions, who didn't really have a pass rush, and now Trey Flowers. So they have something there. Um, They've actually got a a pretty good pass rusher. They don't have a great pass rush unit across the board, but Trey Flowers adds a dynamic that they just did not have previously. And then, of course, as has been the case with everything, the Bears and the Vikings just kind of stay the same. Well, the Bears got worse. Vikings stayed the same. Packers and Lions got better. Lions are really the only team that got better at the cornerback group, right? They added Coleman, they added Aruarie. That might be two out of three that are upgraded. So I think, again, I'm just going to kind of leave it. I'm going to say the, and it, it, it might not even be Bears at the top, but that's my assumption at this point based on last year. But again, you lose your slot guy, you lose your defensive coordinator. I think uh, Prince of Mukamura is going to regress. What does that leave you with? So I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. But uh, as for now, it's Bears top tier, and then it's just the other three. Kind of just hopeful. I don't know how much hope the Vikings can have, um, especially if their defensive front is eroding as opposed to growing. Although if Everson Griffin can get back to his former self, then you're going to see uh, a solid unit again because we know Daniil Hunter is solid. We know Linval Joseph is solid. If Everson Griffin can get back up into that 12% kind of range, 11 12%, suddenly they got a good group, and then the corners are going to improve and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's wide open. Um Honestly, the more I do this, it's less about just wanting to rank them and more about, like, I just want to see it. Like, I want to watch and see not just what the Packers can do, which gets me the most excited, but I want to see what the Vikings are going to do. How do you know, all these things are interesting. As much as I look even at the salary cap and go, that was dumb, it's interesting because you know the people are very smart and they know what they're doing. What is the plan? And is it going to work? Is it going to be a catastrophe? And if not, that's kind of awesome. It's terrible. But it's kind of awesome, at least from a learning standpoint, because all my assumptions and everything I thought I knew at that point just gets is eviscerated. And if everybody in the NFL is looking at the Vikings and thinking it's dumb, similar to what you know maybe the, the Jaguars and the Eagles did going out and buying a bunch of people when your quarterback is on a rookie deal and everyone laughed and said, ha, we've tried that dream team thing, man. It doesn't work in the NFL. And then it worked, and now everybody's doing it. Stacking defensive linemen when you've already got a full defensive front and you're, you're going out and paying big money for guys that are just rotational, that seemed dumb. Kind of worked out, though. So I'm happy to call something dumb and then be wrong, because then it, you know, all of a sudden, guess what? I learned something, and that's not a problem. Anyways, I think I'm going to call it, man. I think we done good today. I'm going to leave you all to it. It's Tuesday. It's the worst day of the week. But that's all right. We're going to get through this. And then tomorrow, we are going to be looking at safeties, and that will be the conclusion of our, uh, you know, little dealie that we're doing here. But anyways, enjoy your day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.